Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, and Genesis and chapter number one. The book of Genesis and chapter number one. We're continuing with our creation seminar and we're still at the very beginning steps as we're trying to lay some framework bit by bit by bit. In the first session, we took some time to discuss in the beginning, to explore the two theories, to define our terms, to understand the philosophies, and to see the end results. Where do both of these ideas lead to? Last week, we talked about the age of the earth and understanding that this is a big discussion, that in order for evolution to work, it needs a secret magic ingredient called millions and millions of years. However, we explore that the Bible does not promote the idea of millions and millions of years. And so these two theories are diametrically opposed. But we're going to look at what happens when people attempt to combine the two ideas of the Bible and evolution and attempt to squeeze it together. So let's start off with the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter one, and locate, if you don't mind, verse number one, the book of Genesis chapter one and verse number one. The Bible says in verse one, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Then notice with me in verse number five. And God called the light day, and in the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark that phrase that we find in verse number five? And I want you to include what we call the definite article, the, the first day day. And with this, we're going to cover something that is called the gap theory as we explore the Bible. Let's take some time to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house now, to open up your word and to explore the book. We're asking that you would just give us grace and mercy, help this to be set in order, help us to order our steps that it makes sense, and that we can draw the conclusion that you desire us to draw to, that your word is trustworthy. Again, this is needful that you, the Holy Spirit, take charge and do your own work. As we study through your word, that you would open it up, that you would make it sense, and that you would put it out in order. Glorify your own name through your word tonight. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you notice in verse number five, at the very end, it says, the first day. Inside of English grammar, that word the is an important word because it is a definite article. Inside of English, we have what is called the definite article, which is the and an indefinite article, meaning an A. So we know that there's a difference between saying a first day and the 
first day. The idea of a definite article, the, shows that it is a very specific first day, not a general first day. And in this case, it is the very first day of creation, the first day. Now, <clears throat> the book of Colossians as we start trying to review, if you don't mind, let's catch up with this. We had hit last time that the book of Colossians clearly states that all things were created by God and all things were created by him and for him. As a review, we know that Jesus himself said that Adam and Eve were made at the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of creation. Jesus Christ is the one who ties in Adam and Eve were there at the beginning. Jesus again says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus made it very specific that he believed and he would know he was there that Adam and Eve were there at the beginning. Romans chapter number five explains that as one man, sin entered into the world. And we know because of the sin of Adam, that sin entered the world. And with that, death for the wages of sin is death. That Think about this. Before Adam sinned in the garden, nothing died. Because it was by Adam's sin that death enter the world. Now this is going to be a very important teaching as we start laying the found work, uh, foundation and the, and the groundwork of this that nothing died until Adam sinned. We know as we go on the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 re-emphasizes this fact or since by man came death. So because Adam sinned, death entered the world. For as in Adam all die because Adam sinned. The, the consequence of that was now we have physical death that we are now engaged in. You are in the process of dying even now. The Bible goes on and says, so it is written the first man, Adam. So notice the definite article again. It wasn't a first man. It was the first man, Adam. Be he was made a living soul <laughs> and, um, that the second Adam was a quickening spirit. We know that's going to be Jesus Christ. Now, we had also hit last week that as we put together the dates, as the Bible dates itself, that we could see how old people were when they had children, how old they were died, and we could see that the Bible goes ahead and progresses all of these names and dates together. And that we could put them together in a chart and calculate how old the earth is. Again, this is something we spent a lot of time with last week, building up the case. I'm just reviewing where we're at in case someone wasn't with us. We want to bring you along. That the Bible dates creation <laughs> um, and <clears throat> that we're only thousands of years old. Now, in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 are very important verses. It says, knowing this first, which is a phrase that says this is important, that knowing this first, thou shalt come in the last days scoffers. Did you know that there are some people that scoff at the Bible? There are people who say that the Bible is not true. And may I also say that some of those people claim to be Christians? There are people that scoff at the Bible. Now notice 
some of the things that they deny. It goes on in the next verse in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 4 saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of. That word willingly ignorant means dumb on purpose. They're stupid on purpose. They're willingly ignorant of. So notice this passage says that there are scoffers and that the scoffers uh, scoff at three things. (coughs) The Bible goes on and says that the heavens and the earth, which are now present tense, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So with this, we see that the scoffers are willingly ignorant of three things, according to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. The three things they are ignorant of is creation, they are ignorant of the flood, and they're ignorant of the coming judgment. Now, interesting enough that most Christians are ignorant of the creation and the flood, Their ignorance has caused them to compromise with accepted theories of science. Meaning that because of Christians don't know their Bible and they scoff at the Bible, they don't think it's true. Now what they want to do is attempt to put the theory of evolution and try to force it into the confines of God's word. Now, Going back to the passage we had started off with, we had said that there was a definite article to show it was the first day. But the rest of the Bibles do not (coughs) say that. In fact, just to give you some groundworks, in many of the other versions of the Bible, the English versions of the Bible, they are missing a lot of words and make several changes all throughout the scriptures. Here is just a small sampling of some of them and how the things they change and how even changing a definite article affects the meaning of a passage. Many of the new versions have taken out dozens of uh, verses where they take out the entire verses. And we know that Satan is the author of confusion and he does whatever he can to take away the word of God from people. If he could cause people to doubt God's word, then they won't trust it, they won't believe it, and they have to replace it with something else. Well, as we had said before, that in the book of Genesis chapter 1, that it said it was the first day. Well, let's look and see what the revised standard version have to say about these days of creation. Notice this. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning. Notice this. One day. It wasn't the first day. It was, hey, one day there was something that happened. That's kind of important right there. Isn't that different from saying the first day? Ah, that God did something one day. Verse number eight, and God called the firmament heaven and there was evening and morning a second day. So it wasn't the second day, it was a second day. So something happened one day and then another day something else happened. Well, that kind of changes the meaning a little bit. Well, we wanted to compare other versions. We know the authorized version says the first day, but all the rest of the other versions seem to say one day, one day, one day, one day, one day. All of them carry with the same idea. Why would they do this? 
Well, once again, it's because they believe in something called the gap theory. In the gap theory, they believe between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 was a big gap where you could squeeze in billions of years. That they believe that in Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Then there's millions and billions of years. And then God finished starting creating the world. Is that true? Is it the idea that we can fit billions of years in between these two verses? Well, let's explore this a little bit. We know that even famous Christian authors like J. Siglow Baxter, he believes that there was a gap theory between the two, uh, first two verses of Genesis. There's ample scope for all geological errors. By the way, anybody who's taken evening school of the Bible should recognize J. Siglow Baxter because he's given some of the stuff that we use. He says the pre-Adamite rebellion. He says before there was an Adam, there was a group of people (laughs) that existed before Adam. Pre-Adam rebellion and the judgment of Lucifer and associated angelic beings. This is a big deal that he's saying before uh, Genesis 1-2, you had dinosaurs live and die. Before Genesis 1-2, you had Uh, Satan running around and having a rebellion. Before Genesis 1-2, you had different forms of pre-humans living and existing. Well, that's a big deal than to say that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And like Jesus said, that Adam was there at the beginning. This becomes a very big deal indeed. So let's kind of ask some questions or see what type of defense. Remember that everything we believe should have a biblically defensible position. So how do people who believe in the gap theory, how do they attempt to defend what they believe from the Bible? So let's see some things that they would say. One of the things they say is that the earth was made without form and void. They would use this quote and say, this is evidence that there was millions and millions of years in the Bible. Well, what do they mean by this? In Genesis 1-2, it says, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the earth. So without a doubt, we do believe that God, when he created the world, that the earth was out without form and void. Now, what does this mean? Without form and void, this word carries the idea of uniformed and unfilled. It does not mean destroyed. Now, this is a big deal. We believe that before God created everything, that there was a whole bunch of space. And God, out of nothing, created the universe. Whereas the gap theory people believe that God had destroyed the world and then was reconstructing it for a brand new human race to live into after the dinosaurs and everything else. Now, that's kind of a big deal. Here's a house here that is uniform and unfilled, but not destroyed. All right. So there's a lot of empty spaces and it still needs to be filled in. It needs to be finished, created, correct? Yes. Now, the reason why they call this is because a similar phrase is used in the book of Jeremiah. It says, I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void. They go, there we go. Here's a different passage here. And we know that in this passage here, it is dealing with the idea of destruction. 
It says, and I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and the hills moved lightly. And I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of heaven were fled. Now notice this passage has nothing to do with creation. It has everything to do with the destruction of Jerusalem, which is coming up, which is quite a few years later after creation, if you're keeping track. So there are two different events that have a similar tag used to it. Now, in this, we have a house that's uniform and unfilled, but it is also destroyed. The potential is gone already. It's used up and destroyed. So we have this phrase that it is... Uniform are unformed and unfilled. But dealing with creation, it's dealing with the idea that there was nothing that God created something with. And Jeremiah, this phrase, has the idea that there's total destruction and now you don't want to live there. For example, that first house, does it have potential for you to live there? This house, how many of you are going to say that's my new dream house? No. All right. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, which is part of what we call the Ten Commandments, God says in the Ten Commandments, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Now, in Exodus 20, may I remind you that God is speaking? Does God know what he's talking about? So when he said that in six days, was God exaggerating? Was God lying? I mean, especially in something like the Ten Commandments. You don't think that God's going to lie inside of the Ten Commandments and then tell you don't lie. God said he created the world in six days and everything that was created was created in those six days. So the question is not what does it say? The question ends up being asked, what question do you believe what it says, or do you believe what it says? The Bible is clear that God created the world in six literal days. It's not what do we think it says, it's do you believe what it clearly says? Do you believe God's word? In Exodus 20, verse 11, as he's continuing with the Ten Commandments and that thought, and rested the seventh day. Now, this is a big deal. Do you believe that God rested the seventh day, meaning he was finished with creation? Or do you think this was a slow process over millions and millions of years that he put together and that he's still trying to take a break after all these millions of years? All right. Now, for those of you who take a day off, is it a day off or is it a period of time that you take off? (laughs) We all wish it was a period of time, right? Extended period of time. In Exodus 31, he goes on and says, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested. Now again, does God know what he's talking about? Well, of course he does. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2. And on the, notice the definite article, on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day. A specific seventh day he rested as a principle for us. Not a generic day, the seventh day after the six days he created. 
Genesis 2.3, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Why? Because that in it, he had rested from all of his work, which God created and made. Now, if God had rested on a specific day, doesn't it mean that the other six days were specific as well? We're just trying to see what the Bible literally says. Hebrews 4.4, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day. Now again, New Testament is backing up what it says. It's not rewriting it. It's backing up that God rested on the, a specific seventh day after the six days of creation. We're just seeing what the Bible says. Romans 5.12, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered to the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon men that all of sin. Now, let's go back and reemphasize that it was by Adam's sin, death entered into the world. Not over millions and millions of years. Nevertheless, from death reigned from Adam to Moses. Again, the Bible is pinpointing a specific person and a specific period of time where death entered into the world. For since by man came death, and by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even in Christ shall all be made alive. Now let's pause. If people who believe in the gap theory is true, then this all Romans and Corinthians is false. Why? Because they would say that dinosaurs died out before man. Well, when dinosaurs die, is that death? Absolutely. And for those of the people who believe that we as men evolved, what happened to the people that were almost man? Did they die? And so is the Bible true where it says death entered with Adam or were things dying before Adam? This is a big deal. The last enemy shall be destroyed is death. Now I'm thankful for that. Now some people would say, well, what about plants? Did they die? I meant, what did the dinosaurs eat? They ate plants. But the question we ask is plants considered alive according to the definition of the Bible. We know that over time, different people have made definitions of life. What does the Bible define as life? Those that have the breath of life in their nostrils. They breathe on land. We'll see that later dealing with the Genesis flood. So plants, do they breathe through their nostrils? No. So they're not considered alive in the sense that God is speaking about death. So Let's go back to the gap theory. So their first argument is that this phrase of uniformed and unfilled, unformed and unfilled. Now, let's see what else they may have to try to defend their theory. What else do they say? Well, it says that God told man to replenish the earth. This is one of their big things they hang their hat on. They go, wait a wait a second. The Bible says God told man to replenish the earth. That word re is a prefix. And it means to do again. So that means they were to plenish the earth again. That's what they would say. So let's see what the Bible says. Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. Yep, there it is. It's there, I believe it. But what does that word mean? That's a good question. So 
The word replenish, if you look in today's dictionary, says to make full again. That <laughs> not just to make it full, but to do it again, do it a second time or a repeated time. But did you know the word replenish always didn't have that definition? <laughs> Breathe fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That replenish means to fill, and it's a different Hebrew word that means to do it again. So that word just simply means to fill. We saw this in 1611 that the word replenish simply meant to be filled. By 1650, a second definition, refill, was added to the dictionary. And for hundreds of years, the word primarily meant to be filled. Let me give an example. Here is in Webster's 1828 dictionary. Notice the very first definition of replenish. It means to fill. Then there is a second definition underneath it to recover the former fullness or to fill again. But the primary definition was to fill. Not to fill again, but to fill the first time. That's a big deal. Now in 1891, notice that replenish still has the word definition of to fill. And it has the second definition to fill fill again, meaning that the primary use of the word, the first definition is to fill. That is a big deal. In 1892, notice that the two definitions of fill have switched. Now it, the de first definition is to fill up again, and it also means to fill completely. Then in eight, 1989, there's only one Definition. You see, you could learn even a lot from even dictionaries and studying dictionaries. You said, nerd, I understand. But to make full or complete again. The dictionary today only has one definition and has erased the first definition. It's the word has changed meaning over time. Well, we know that words have always changed. For example, the word cool has changed probably about five times in my lifetime. Some of you who are a little bit older than me, it's probably changed even more than that. At one time, cool just meant, you know, not hot. But now it's, who knows what it is now. The word gay used to mean happy. But that word has changed. For example, in James 2, 3, And have ye respect to him that weareth gay clothing? It means happy clothing. Someone who, who's dressing in a very, in a way that looks happy, bright happy clothes, not drab, boring clothes. Like my daughter says, old McDonald's compared to new grown-up McDonald's. All right. Romans uh, 1, 13, we have the word let. This word let. Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purpose to you but was let hereto. Notice this word let doesn't mean to allow. It means to hinder. It means to hinder. So today we would say, let me have this. It means give it to me. But in the Bible, that word let means to hinder, to be in the way, to be an obstacle. Words change meaning over time. God preserved the Bible in English, but he did not promise to preserve the English language. This is why we use our tools to go back. What did that word meant when people translated it? This is how we study the Bible. And Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. We know that God's word is settled, but the English language is a fluid language and continues to change. That means that words change definitions over time.
So when we come back to Genesis 1.28 and have the word replenish, we know using our tools, that word doesn't mean to fill again. It just quite simply means to fill. But again, the gap theory people are going to be using this as evidence. Well, that doesn't work. How about this? What other defense could they come up with to hang their hat on the theory? Well, they say Satan existed before creation. And may I say that most Christians, even Christians who go to good churches like this, believe Satan existed before creation? This is a very big and common idea. Well, what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, we know in the book of Ezekiel 22, where it begins to talk about Satan, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, thou hast summed up this, or sealedest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou, Lucifer, has been in Eden. Notice this. Where was Satan at? He was in the Garden of Eden. Is that after creation or before creation? After creation. Notice this at the very end. In thee, in the day that thou was created. Do you see that Satan was created? And God created him. That's interesting. Ezekiel 28, it continues on. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. So when God created Satan, he was created perfect. And he was living in the Garden of Eden until he got tired of obeying God and rebelled against God. Notice this. In day six of creation, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. We would call it the Garden of Eden. We already see that Satan was there. And this is day number six of creation. In Ezekiel 28, it says that thus saith God, the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up and thou hast said, I am a God. Now again, he's speaking about Satan. Satan said, listen, I'm a God. Why shouldn't people worship me? Why shouldn't they acknowledge me? He says, behold, thou art wiser than Daniel with thy wisdom and with thy understand it, thou hast gotten thee riches. Notice some things about Satan. It says that he has wisdom and he has riches. And thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. What are some things that people are prideful today about? Their intelligence and their riches. And thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. There's the trifecta. Three things that people are prideful over. Their intelligence, their riches, and their beauty. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth and all the sons of God, which are angels, shouted for joy. Notice that word all. That when God created the world and then created the angels, they were there shouting for joy. We already saw that Satan's an angel. Does that mean that Satan was also rejoicing? Absolutely he was. Because he was created perfect. So as God went on, he said, let the waters under heaven be gathered together and let the dry land appear. And God called the land earth and gathered the seas of water, uh, the waters he called seas and the evening and the morning were the third day. So a definite article, the third day. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was 
very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, if Satan is running around causing trouble, do you think God would call it very good? No, at this time, Satan is created, but he has not fallen yet. And God is calling it very good. So what other defense could the gap theory people made? We've already kind of knocked out some of them. We know that God created Satan, that the word replenish has changed definitions over time. And the idea of unfilled or unformed and unfilled is dealing with creation, meaning from nothing. What other argument are they going to use? They're going to say, aren't created and made different words with different meanings. So now they're getting semantics. All right. So do these words mean different things? Well, let's look at Genesis 1 31. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them. Notice that God uses this word made and created interchangeably. They mean the same thing. So gap theory proponents teach that the first earth was destroyed and God had to remake the, uh, the earth. All right. So he messed up the first time it blew up. He had to fix it. All right. Well, Revelation 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now this is talking about eternity future. That in eternity future, God is going to remake it heaven and earth. And the heaven and earth that he's remaking is calling the first heaven and the first earth. So according to the Bible, you know where you're standing right now? The first earth. Amen. The very first one, not one that was blown up and remade. The first earth. Hebrews explains what angels are created for. Why was angels created? According to them, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those, to them who will be heirs of salvation? Who are the heirs of salvation? Christians. Why did God create angels? To minister to, to Christians. So if angels were created to minister to Christians, to serve and to be a blessing to, to believers, to mankind... What use are angels millions of years before man existed? Amen. Make sense? <laughs> That's why they were created was to minister to them who would be the heirs of salvation. Now, once again, Jesus said, them that at the beginning made them male and female. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So the question is, when did Satan fall? Now, again, people believe commonly that Satan fell before creation. What does the Bible say? When did Satan fall? Well, we know that everything was created in six days. Six literal days. We know that Satan was created. We know that Satan was in Eden until he first sinned. So that means he lived in the Garden of Eden with Adam and everyone else. He was there. Eden was made on day six. So therefore, Satan couldn't have fallen before day six. We're just following clues. Since angels were created to be ministering spirits for us, why would God create the millions of years before man? Satan and the angels rejoiced when the foundations of the earth were laid, which was on day number four. The foundations were laid on day three. Excuse me, they were made on day three, not day four. 
Then everything was very good at the end of the day. God says everything is very good. Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. Cain and Abel were born X number of years before Seth. The Bible doesn't say. So we don't know when it was, but we know that the creation of Adam was the first man and was at the beginning. There was no death until Adam sinned. And Genesis uh, 1.5 describes the first day. So everything was very good until man sinned, which was about 100 years after creation. That means that Satan could have been with Adam and Eve in the garden and with God for up to 100 years before he finally rebelled. Now, in those first 100 years, everything's wonderful. Everything's perfect. Satan's perfect. He's not causing any problems. When did Satan fall? Sometime within about 100 years. Took him 100 years to finally say, I had enough of this. And make, that's an interesting time frame after creation. So here's some problems with a the gap theory that we've been pointing out. Now, the gap theory was invented in 1814 by a Scottish theologian and Mason Lodge member by the name of Thomas Chalmers. This is not the historical position of the church, meaning that in all of history, nobody believed this until recent times. Nobody said, hey, I think there's a million years fit in the Bible somewhere. This is a recent invention. It was given more circulation in 1867. So at the very beginning when he published this, people were like, you're crazy. Finally, people started to gather traction on this idea in 1867 when a guy wrote a book called The Earth's Earliest Ages. It really took hold in Christian circles because of the Schofield Reference Bible that started to promote something called the Gap Theory. We know that the Gap Theory violates Scripture. So not only was this idea invented by a man, but it violates so many Scriptures. It counteracts, it cannot exist because it's contrary to Scriptures. It puts death before Adam's sin, which violates even more scriptures. It has Satan fall before day seven, which violates a bunch of scriptures. So here's some questions to ask some people who believe the gap theory. By the way, there are many good people who just have never been taught who believe in the gap theory. And we're not trying to be mean or say they're hateful. Maybe they've just been taught. I know I had a friend of mine, in fact, Dr. Reese. He's been home with the Lord now. But when I first met him, he believed in the gap theory. Why? Because this is what he was taught in school. Before he died, he was a six-day creationist. But we need to be generous to these people and try to work them along because maybe they've been never been taught or maybe they've been fooled by believing evolution and they're trying to squeeze it into the Bible. But here are some questions to ask those people. Was death before Adam's sin? That's a very big theological idea. Did, was there death like dinosaurs before Adam's sin? When did Satan fall? Was Satan already the God of this world when God gave Adam dominion? That's a good question. When God said, hey, Adam, you're in charge. Keep up the earth. Was Satan already in charge? Or did Satan give charge after Adam messed up? Good. This is more theologically heavy things to consider. Would, uh, I think I'm missing some. 
Good. Would Noah's flood erased all evidence of the billions of years taught by the gap theory? And the answer of that is absolutely it did. It destroyed everything. What did God mean in Exodus 2011 when he said he rested on the seventh day? Was that a period of time or was it a specific day? Does everyone who read the Bible need a guru to tell them what the Bible believes? Or can someone read the Bible and understand it for themselves? We believe that God, people could read the Bible for themselves. Why can't the word let in Romans change meanings 400 years, but the word replenish not? We know that words change time. And then why do you even need a gap? What took place during this time? Well, again, the only reason, and let me emphasize, the only reason why people attempt to put a gap theory is to try to fit evolution inside of the Bible. So why does Revelation 21.1 state that the earth we live on now, present tense, is the first earth if it really isn't? It's another good question. Was Adam the first man or was there a bunch of uh, pre- Adam humans running around beforehand, like a lot of TV evangelists try to say there is. So as we examine this, let's look and see, we see that all of these arguments for the gap theory are not in existence. Now let's do some other logic. Remember that we told you before that many of the um, Bible versions kept saying a first day, a first day. Well, going through the Living Bible, we finally get one that says the first day. Definitely, finally, one that's right. Finally, that works. Until we saw the asterisk and read the footnote underneath it that said literally a period of time. So it's not a first day. It just means a literal period of time. What do people mean by this? Well, people believe that the Bible says, and they misappropriate uh, it, they said, for a thousand years in thy sight, speaking of God, are but as yesterday when it is past. Now, we know that from God's perspective, he is outside of time. And so for God, he sees all time at once. However, people have taken this verse and says, well, what that means is one day actually means a thousand years. So when it says the first day, that's actually a couple thousand years. And then the second day is another couple thousand years. Well, that's a big stretch. They also pull up this verse in 2 Peter 3, 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Now again, they're failing to understand this is from God's perspective. That God is outside of time. He sees all of time at once. The same time as he's watching this service, he's also watching the children of Israel cross the Red Sea. However, the people have misappropriated this verse and says, here's another proof that one day is actually a span of time, a period of time. They would call this the day age theory, that one day is actually a period of time. We know that some people have run wild with it. I have this Bible up here. And you can look for yourself. But notice if you don't mind, Genesis 1.1, according to this Bible here. It says, by periods, God created that which produced by the solar system than that which was produced of earth. What? Well, that's kind of different than our Genesis 1.1. Yeah. Again, I have the Bible. You can look at it. My daughter has said, this hurts my head. All right, well, let's see what else it says in Genesis in this Bible. It says in Genesis uh, 1.5, this was the close and the dawn of the first age. 
Well, that's just completely different, isn't it? Why does he have this? Because he believes in what is called the day-age theory. That it's periods of time that, that Genesis is like a mythology that's trying to give across that there's a period of time where evolution was able to work throughout this whole period. It is called, again, the day-age theory. Well, is there any problems with this? Can this stand? Well, let's see. By the way, at verse 8, it says, and this was the close and dawn of the second age. Again, you can look at this Bible for yourself. Uh, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? Well, God said in Genesis 1 and verses 11 through 13, and God said, let bring forth grass and herb and fruit tree. All right, so pay attention. So this was the third day. On day three, what did God create? Plants. Correct? So day three, what did God create? All right. Now, kids, this is the ones that you want to pay attention to now. You're going to enjoy this. So, kids, what, what, uh, what, day did, what did God create? Or what day did God create plants? Day three, right? Pay attention. This is going to be good. All right. And day four, guess what God created? Great lights, which include the sun. So if there are a thousand years and each one of these days represented thousands of years, we run into a problem now because what do plants need in order to grow? So God says, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth. And that is the fifth day. So on the fifth day, God created the flying creatures, which would include, include bees and birds, which are necessary to exchange the pollen of plants to cause it to live. Now, if these are literal days, this is no big deal. But if each of these are thousands of years, that's kind of a very big deal. So on the third day, God created plants. On day four, God made the sun. And day five, God made the insects and birds to pollinate it, which is no big deal if they're one day apart, but a very big deal if they are thousands of years apart. These things could not exist. Now, this is just big long thing by Hebrew professor says, when you study Hebrew, the word yom means day. And no Hebrew professor has ever considered yom being anything else than a literal 24-hour period in the natural study of the Bible. It is literally meaning days. All right? That's all that means. <laughs> so what does this even matter? So you guys have listened. We've talked about the gap theory. We talked about the day age theory. Why does this matter? That's a good question. Well, here is a guy who wrote the humanist, a book. And he starts off by saying, as were many persons in Alabama, I was a born again Christian. When I was 15, I entered the Southern Baptist Church with great fervor and interest in the fundamentalist religion. I left at 17 when I got to the University of Alabama and heard the evolution theory. He says, I went to a Baptist church all of my life, and then I went to college, and they taught me evolution, and I walked away from the Bible and church and never went back. In fact, he wrote a book talking about how we should worship ourselves as humans rather than worship God. How about a different illustration? Karl Marx. At 17, he wrote a beautiful paper telling of his love for the Lord. 
Then he went to college and studied philosophy and turned his back on God. And class, what, he, what is he the father of? Communism. So the guy who invented communism once wrote a paper about how much he loved God. Then he went to college and in college they taught him evolution. And he said, ah, forget this. Forget God. Let's admit communism. How about this? Andrew Carnegie of Carnegie Hall, the steel magnet, was once to say, America's richest man. Though he was raised a Christian, he became an atheist. This is what he wrote in his autobiography. When I, along with three or four of my boon companions, was at the stage of doubt about theology, including the supernatural element, and indeed the whole scheme of salvation through vicarious atonement, and all the fabric built upon it, I came fortunately to Darwin and Spencer's work. I ran into Darwin's book of evolution. I remember that a light came on as in a flood and all was clear. Not only had I got rid of theology and the supernatural, but I found the truth of evolution. So here are three examples of people that were raised in what we would say Christian homes and they turned their back. Why? They went to school and was taught evolution. Why does this matter? Because people's faith, whether they believe in God or not, depends on this study and what they believe. Is the Bible true? Let's kind of cover through history and see what's going on. In 1795, uh, Hutton wrote a book called The Theory of Earth. It made people doubt that the earth was 6,000 years old. Before this time, everyone thought that the world was young. Then Thomas Calmer's gap theory was invented in 1814 and Christians began to accept the idea of millions of years into the Bible. Then you had Darwin's book, Origin of Species, published in 1859 that caused people to doubt the creator. Notice it didn't start with Darwin. Darwin was just the final nail that gave people the reason to walk away as their faith had been chiseled away bit by bit, by bit, by bit. Now today, 75% of all children raised in Christian homes who attend public schools will reject the Christian faith by their first year of college. Why is this important? Because people's faith in God. Today, so many kids are walking away at age 18 and never coming back to church. There's a lot of factors on that. And part of that, they're not taught the Bible. And they're taught an alternate theory called evolution that causes them to doubt that the Bible's true. Why would you go to church if you don't think God is real? Why would you take time to even read a Bible that you don't think is even true? This is what many people find themselves in. This is a big fight and it's a fight against people's faith. The word of God is under attack. All of this is for the purpose of destroying people's faith in the Bible. Satan and the world system cannot deceive people who know God's word for themselves. The first law of compulsory education in America was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. And this law on public school said this, that kids need to be taught to read at an early age. Why? So they can be taught to read the Bible. People who read the Bible for themselves 
cannot be deceived and commit atrocities like the Crusades and the Inquisition. The things that happen in Europe cannot happen in America where people know their Bible. You see, there is a big attack today on the educational system. Why? To try to get people from reading their Bible. Do you know that in order to, uh, by age 14, kids were going to college in the 1700s, 1800s? And before they could go to college, they had to not only speak English, but also had to be studied in Latin and Greek. Today, we have high schoolers who graduate who can't even read their own diplomas. There's a big attack on education. Why? Satan doesn't want people to read their Bible. Why? Because if people know their Bible, they can't be deceived. But listen, if you're not reading your Bible and you don't know what it says, people can lie to you. Remember what I said that there are people who went to school and they were taught the uh, gap theory? How How did that happen? Because there was people who didn't know what the Bible said. And they had someone that sounded smart tried to tell them this is what the Bible really means and they believed them because they did not know the Bible for themselves. We say around here quite often the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. Why does pastor harp on this so much? Because if you know the Bible you cannot be deceived. It is harder for you to be deceived. So when people say, I don't read my Bible, you know what I see? Someone who's ready to be lied to. Why don't people read their Bibles? Well, one, because of the education system now. Two, they don't think the Bible is true and not dependable. Why? Because things like this have chiseled people's faith. The Bible's not true. Every single word of God's word is true and reliable. So the question is, are you reading and digesting God's word daily? Are you reading God's word for yourself? Are you learning more and more of it and also learning more and more of God, of the Lord himself? Are you getting to know him personally? You understand your faith is going to be dependent not on what your preacher says. Your faith is going to be dependent whether you are strong or weak on your own personal Bible reading. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. So again, the question is, are you reading God's word for yourself or are you dependent on someone telling you what the Bible has to say? If you're dependent on someone else, you are very vulnerable and can be deceived and lied to. How is your Bible reading? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.